0: Oh, you beat up my whales today, Dan. I I am Welsh. Uh, A portion of my lineage is Welsh. It's
1: okay. There's support groups for that.
0: Hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, I'm Peter, and as always, well, normally, I've got my two buddies with me. First, the good Dan Crook, with an E. Hello, Daniel.
1: Hey, I'm back.
0: Wow. You're back. Excellent. Very good. Uh, did you? I didn't get to ask you last week, did you survive your birthday gift of losing to Watford?
1: Yeah, I was fine with that. I uh, watched the last minute of injury time and when sod it. I don't really care. I've been drinking.
0: All right. Very good. Well, happy birthday. How old are you now? 67?
1: Uh, almost, 34.
0: All right. Excellent. And of course, your hero and mine, the good Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz.
2: Hello, Peter. Calling in today from Gulfport, Mississippi. Thought I'd go, go dance in a hurricane waters.
0: Oh, okay. Well, have fun. Good luck with all that. Um, all right, so we are recording this on Thursday evening on the heels of a uh, particularly ugly loss um, that I'm sure we're going to get to here in a little bit. So uh, in lieu of that, I'm going to ask you one of you to step up to the microphone and give us something positive to think about when it comes to football club Dallas, just so we can kick the pot off in a positive note.
1: Dan, you got anything? Uh, I don't know. Have you got anything?
2: This well, is there anything? Well. No, uh, I, I,
1: no. I, can do,
2: I can do something positive if, if you want. Well, go ahead. Well, despite uh, the relatively poor results, Dallas still has a pretty good defense. And if you have a pretty good defense, then you can build on that. They only have 17 goals allowed, which is the second fewest in the Western Conference. So you can build from that. So that's, that's the positive.
0: Well, uh, and I guess we, we'll talk more about this when we talk about the Houston game. Do we get any reports back on the extent of Matt's what I appears to be a hamstring injury and how long we expect him to be out? Because I have a feeling that that vaunted defense you're speaking of uh, yeah. will get tested if he's out for a while.
2: No, we do not. Uh, They have not done the weekly, well, biweekly media call yet in preparation for the next game, so we do
1: not have that answer yet. It could be tomorrow, though. Hopefully. Hmm.
0: Okay. So, uh, that's it. That's the most positive thing we can come up with.
1: I've got got a positive. (laughs) Yeah. FC Dallas was not the first club this season to accidentally sub on a player at halftime who was not on the game day roster have to watch the referee piss around on an iPhone for 10 minutes looking at the uh, roster, and then he gets told to go sod off to the locker room. Wait, what are you talking about? Oh, you didn't see uh, Russell Kanell get subbed well, on no, for I'm DC? Fami-
0: no, I'm familiar with that, but I'm, when did that happen to FC Dallas? That's what I'm saying. It didn't. Oh, I see what you're saying. That's they why it's they <laughs> Oh, I thought you were saying they weren't the first to do it. I'm sorry, I misunderstood you, Dan. Yes, uh, they they did not accidentally try to sub in a guy that wasn't on the 18. That's a
1: yeah. I'm not saying it won't happen. That's why I'm like they're just not the first. That was two oh. years ago in Orlando. But that was different. The referee signed that change off. Yeah, yeah.
0: the man told them they could do it. Um, the man oh- made the change for him yeah so uh man, it's this is weird because Dallas now is winless in their last four. They are o two and two. and uh, you know, two of those losses come against two of the lesser teams in the league that were all that were coming into the game on six game winless streaks and then the other two. We're both at home against two of the better teams in the Eastern Conference, but came into the game, one, having to travel and two, not at full strength. And I, I just, you know, we're going to start talking about the Columbus game first. But overall, Buzz, let's just get your overall sense as to where this team sits in this moment, uh, considering what's happened over the last two weeks.
2: Well, in their favor, uh, not a lot of people in the bottom of the Western Conference are winning games, so they're still in the playoff picture, so that's nice, I guess. Um, the real worry, of course, is that uh, they've been shut out in three of the last four, which, of course, directly leads to the record that you just mentioned and their mm-hmm. inability to win games. You have to go back to the really I – mean, other than the, the Columbus game where they had two goals, really you have to go back to the sporting Kansas City game that they won 3-2, and before that, the Colorado game, when they had Santi's hat trick, you know, and and I imagine this is probably what Lucci is doing, too, is you'll have to go back to those games and look at what you did and try and see if you can figure out how to get that to happen again, you know, and 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 I have a couple of suspicions, but we'll see what Lucci does with that.
0: Okay, so you point out, um, so, yeah, I think that's the weird part about all of this is, is that, you know dallas is not that different from so many other teams in the league and it's it's hard to get too excited or too upset about your club status because there's not a lot of teams that are going on extended winning streaks of any sort i'm sitting here looking at the league form table on the website and there's lots of yellows and reds and greens all kind of intermixed but i didn't realize this so um <clears throat> do, do we collectively feel like or do you think the general fan feels like dallas is a significantly better team than Houston or had more success than Houston since the restart?
2: Well, I certainly would have thought that, you know, I considered Houston a place that you can go and get some points. Um, I, I don't know if people would have thought, you know, Dallas is such an afterthought in the minds of most people, most fans in this league. So even though that they're relatively good, they're not great ever, but they're relatively good. Most of the time, people still think of them as a not great team. So probably not. Probably people probably considered, uh, even some among Dallas fans who don't recognize the fact that their team is usually pretty good, probably haven't recognized the fact that Houston has been terrible the last six games or so.
0: Yeah. Well, the thing I didn't realize is, is that Dallas and Houston, by and large, have an almost identical record since the restart. And, you know, um, they each have four wins. They each have an almost equal number of—actually, Houston has lost fewer games, I believe, than— No, they each have three losses, and the rest of them are draws. So uh, it's it's a weird feeling to think that Dallas isn't really, record-wise, any significantly better than a Houston team that has lost a lot of players and sold off its best striker and, and, and also dealing with a brand-new coach. So I— set that conversation aside a little bit more for when we talk about Houston. But as we move into the conversation about Columbus and coming on to a second game in a row at home against an East Coast leader, um, you know, that game ends up 2-2. And it was certainly not a game that you came away from uh, feeling too great about the situation. One, because of the number of players Columbus was missing. And two, kind of the missed opportunities and the fact that you gave up the lead twice uh, over the course of 90 minutes.
2: Yeah, I I didn't feel too bad about that game because Columbus is one of the best teams in the league. Um, You know, both that game and the Orlando game, I did feel like they were there. You could have had them, you know, but I feel like those are two of the best teams in the league, and so it was a pretty positive feeling I was having. It's only when you put it in the context of the Atlanta game before that and then then this game since then that you really start to feel like the, the streak has not been good the last four
1: Yeah, definitely after the Columbus game, you kind of come away with it. One of the top teams, the only player they were missing was Darlington Nagby. Um, That's a pretty significant piece to their puzzle, though. But that's only one piece. Uh, I mean, they they killed FC Dallas on the counterattack. There's not many teams that are going to do that. So, you know, you can kind of say, all right, well, you saw some positives. You saw some negatives that very few teams are going to be able to exploit.
0: So one of the things that was interesting about the Columbus game is it represented the first time uh, Lucci has made a tactical decision of pushing Acosta higher and pulling Ricarte back a little bit. Um, oh, and, and and I've seen different people. I've heard Steve Davis uh, describe uh, Ricarte as playing more as a double-pivot six uh, with Acosta in front. I've seen a six and eight and a ten or a six and two-eighths. Buzz, help me sort out what Lucci's trying to do by getting, pushing Acosta a up and rotate back?
2: Well, the general idea, and, and of course, we, we've talked about the way the triangle and the midfield rotates all the time. Um, Lucci is pretty non-rigid when it comes to formations, and, and as long as you take care of your responsibility, it's usually all right. So the general idea was to have, according to Lucci now, the general idea was to have uh, Acosta be a little higher and do a little more of the pressing, Um, I think in an effort to try and free up Ricarte a little bit from some of that responsibility and have Acosta be a little more of a chaser, uh, you know, because you have a couple guys that can spell Acosta and you don't really have a guy that can spell Ricarte per se, you know, so I think that was the general concept. And I think that's the idea of having two guys that can both release and come back, um, you know, it, it is a good thing to have in the sense that the defense doesn't know who's coming and McCarthy plays enough defense that it can work. He even shifted back and lineup up kind of like a six for a little while, so it's a fluid midfield, and, and that's okay.
0: So, uh, do you feel like it's working? Uh, and you can kind of throw in the Houston game in here too, if you want to. Do you, do you feel like you're getting out? He's getting out of it what he is hoping to get.
2: Uh, I think sometimes he does, and sometimes he doesn't. Um, We've seen such inconsistency right now with the midfield between Acosta being sometimes good and sometimes bad, and Thiago Santos when he's, you know, feeling good and, and and feeling rested looks good, but when he's tired like this game we just had, he looks against Houston, he looks absolutely horrible and gets subbed at halftime. You know, when you have some, so much inconsistency like that, it's hard to really feel like I would imagine as a coach that you're really getting what you're looking for. I do think that. The more of a double eight look with Mercante and Acosta works. I like that. I think Lucci likes that. Um, the problem is it leaves Jago Santos on an island, and he's not quite mobile enough to play, for example, sideline to sideline, which is an important part of covering up outside backs when needed uh, in this formation because your wings don't. They basically both stay high, so. Um, I think it's definitely a work in progress still. I think Lucio will not be satisfied, and I'm, I'm sure that's why at halftime he made the change.
0: One of my notes uh, from that particular game, and it, it it kind of feeds in a little bit into the Houston game as well, and is kind of a growing theme, which is uh, Frank O'Hara has been paid a lot of money to come here and do one thing and one thing only, and that's score goals. And in the Columbus game in particular, uh, there were two or maybe even three what I would think are probably very high XG type opportunities that he just absolutely did not finish one in particular I'm thinking was a uh, I think a Brian Reynolds cross against the uh, on the ground across the face of goal that he didn't seem to have any desire to sacrifice his body to throw a leg out to kind of knock it in um, and just other things and I and and that's one Weird little thing about Frank O'Hara that's starting to uh, nag at me personally as a fan and, and watching the game. Is anybody else picking up on this too?
2: My general um, thinking on him is, is mostly that he's not getting enough touches. Um, and he is definitely limited in his mobility. We've talked about the fact that he's flat out slow. So, you know, he does play as a false nine, um, and that means it's hard for him to, because he is slow, it's hard for him to get to those balls that are a little bit of a lead pass, which is, uh, in some ways, not good for this team because of the fact they have so many guys that want to cross the ball, Um, Reynolds and Baris, Baris usually on the right, but not always, and then um, Hollingshead and Pico are both a little more of a cut inside guy, but they still play a lot of balls in too and even guys like Reto and Ricarte want to play balls into the box so uh I wouldn't mind to see an adjustment on his end of being a little more like push a high line kind of striker because then I think he would get more of those opportunities I just think that given how old he is you know and how limited his mobility is that this is pretty much what we're going to get we're going to get kind of hot and cold performances from him he does put in work rate I'll give him that but
1: He's an older player. It's kind of what you get, right? Um, you don't get the twenty-year-old that's throwing themselves around like you'll see. Uh, actually, uh, one of the chances Pepe had yesterday oh, I think the only chance Pepe had yesterday was really trying to launch himself at the ball with uh, Wiley Coyote's uh, Acme catapult. <laughs> yeah, you know, unfortunately, uh, a thirty-four-year-old just isn't going to do that because they know they're probably going to not miss in the next five games.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm speaking more specifically to opportunities that you would think a guy getting paid million a year, million dollar year a million dollars a year is going to convert more of than less of. And I and I just get the sense that we're not there with him yet. Uh headed opportunities, um he, he's not a guy that takes on defenders a lot. He's more of an opportunistic striker. He's not a guy that creates a lot of space for himself. And it's interesting to have people come in the team and kind of learn their pros and cons. And, and Buzz, this is obviously a, a big uh, aspect of the fact that you don't get to go watch training, right? Like you don't get to learn yeah. a lot about these guys and, and how, what they do during training. So we're all kind of learning in real time what Frank O'Hara's strengths and weaknesses are. Uh, and, and, and again, without trying to get too much into the Houston game, there was some, the big difference to me between the two games was, is that he just, he, I, I think he just hopped and he just didn't look interested in the Houston game where he was very active in the Columbus game, just really missed a couple of really solid opportunities that you would have liked to have seen him finish.
2: Well, I, you know, I, I would agree with you that, um, you're not getting as clinical a player as I had hoped for. You know I, I agree with you that like I, I kind of wanted to see a guy that was more of a pure finisher than we're getting I, I do wonder if that's the kind of thing that over time as his teammates learned him you know you would get the ball to him in better positions for him you know when you, when you learn hat where the guy wants it and that kind of thing um, I, I just don't want to be too hard on the guy who's only been here for like six or seven games in the middle of the most chaotic year of all time I mean maybe I'm supposed to be hard on him but um, you know I some guys take six months or a year to get into the game, you know, and this guy's been here for a month or whatever. So I'm not Mm -hmm. too worried about it, but I agree with you that so far it's not good enough.
0: Yeah. My only comment there is he's 32, 33. He doesn't have six months or a year. It's
2: the problem with selling a 32 year old striker.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. Now, uh, the other thing that's happened in both the Columbus and Houston game, and I think we're just going to end up mixing the two together because there's there's aspects to each game that are kind of consistent, which is this uh, thing that we've talked about numerous times on this podcast. You know, every manager has their favorite player, a guy that they just for whatever reason, even if the fan base and other people look at it and go, "What the hell is going on?" and for Lucci. They- clearly jesus ferreira and i don't understand why he has now uh subbed ricarte out at 60 minutes and two games in a row and thrown on ferreira who has and now in the course of uh 60 minutes between two games done absolutely nothing and shown zero
2: yeah i think um i think when he came on for this one the idea was that uh, up a man, he would he would be able to like exploit some of those gaps that last year we thought he was really good at, but he didn't do that. He spent like most of the time because they they eventually saw, uh, took off Reto. There was only one center back, and he and Tesman ended up playing like double six in front of a single center back. So, so like the reason you would have brought Jesus on, he wasn't doing that. And I, so I was look. Coaches have favorite players, and they have guys they trust, and they have guys they're going to go to, and that's clearly. Uh, you know, Bruce's guy in Jesus. You know, he doesn't have a whole lot of bench options with much experience, frankly. You know, Pepe is still very young and inexperienced. Roberts hardly ever plays. You know, Dante Sealy's 16. So they, they, he doesn't have a lot of choices, to be honest. once well, Tessman was already in. You know, Brandon Cervani is not an offensive player, so he's limited, yeah. frankly.
0: Yeah, what's interesting to me, though, between the two games is uh, the the difference in the fact that Dallas... Lucci seemed to have, has seemingly struggled in terms of substitutions, or he's done similar substitutions for very different game scenarios. In the the Columbus game, he's got a lead, right? He's up 2-1 and can't seem to manage the team to keep them in the lead, and in the other game, he's up a man and trying to fight back to score goals, and he can't seem to sort a, a solution to that either. Um, and 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 that really is that's the reason why the the uh, Ferreira uh, substitution in both games is puzzling to me, especially when Ricarte, in particular, is a guy who is clearly the singular person that was retaining possession and kind of creating
2: for the team. Against Houston, or against uh,
0: well, I, in both games, oh, this, frankly, yeah.
2: Well, Ricarte went 90 against Houston. It was Acosta that came off. Um, oh,
0: that's right. I'm sorry. That's right. He yeah. substituted Acosta off in the in the Houston game. Yeah, and I mean,
2: Ricarte I... had 118 touches against Houston and six key passes. I mean, the guy was just crushing it. And to be honest, Brian Acosta had five key passes, so he was doing pretty well, too. I don't think I would have taken off either one of those guys uh, the way they were playing. They were both tearing apart Houston um that's why it was so odd to me. The this the Jesus sub was so odd to me in the Houston game. In the Columbus game, I kind of understood it because you were you're trying to still keep Ricarte on a relative minute restriction mm-hmm. in the sense that you can't he's he's still building towards 90 minutes and, the, and there's such a heavy load, you can't play him 90 minutes every single game. And Jesus, you know, should have some of the abilities that make him good at killing a game. He should be able to combine, he should be able to possess. So that game, I kind of understood it. The Houston game, I found it baffling. You know, again, it just comes down to Lucy's faith.
1: I think, uh, you know, the, the the part that got me is um, when I was writing notes watching the Houston game earlier today. I I definitely wrote why is Jesus on the field several times. Uh I you know, think he comes on two minutes in. Uh, there's that uh, header from or It was a back header, and the keeper just parries it out to Jesus. You know, really nice, easy, first-time header. Instead, he watches the ball go up and then come down and then go up and then get cleared by a defender.
2: I actually think that Lucci's doing Jesus a disservice Mm. because he is bringing him in at so many different positions and asking him to do so many different things. The kid can't get a groove going in terms of what is my job, what position am I playing, and what am I best at? Can I please work on that? Rather than just being like the stopgap glue that I stick in, you know, you know, round square peg in a round hole because I don't have any other bodies left.
0: Yeah, definitely. and obvi- I'm sorry. Go ahead,
1: Dan. I was going to say I definitely agree with that, but I mean, he missed two sitters in two minutes. It's that that shouldn't factor into that. Or he's getting yeah. he he's getting in the right areas and then just disappearing when it matters. It's what everyone used to hate about Christian Coleman.
0: Well, and and, and also to add to that, the the one clear opportunity where he had the chance to volley it in uh, and tie the game uh, was a miss that, you know, I don't think any of us thought Jesus would miss uh, back when the guy had a lot of confidence. I mean, Steve Davis was very clear. He's like, you know, back in the day, I would tell you all day and all night, he's the best natural finisher on this team. And he just absolutely butchered that chance. And he just looks like a kid with zero confidence running through his veins. And I can't tell if Lucci's trying to re-inject that in him or if Lucci just sees him differently than the rest of us do.
2: This twice he's missed that shot actually recently when the ball's coming across his body and he sweeps it with his right foot rather than letting it come across and hit it with his left. You know, I, I don't know how good his left foot is, but he definitely has missed it twice in the last you know week and a half. I can't remember the other game he did it, but it was uh, maybe in Atlanta. It was very recently.
0: All right, so let's, uh, so with the adjustment of pushing Acosta in, into more of an, a, an advanced position, how, how are you feeling are, have we changed our opinion uh, that this team needs to get rid of him? Is he performing better? Uh, and just kind of the general reaction to the fact that we've gone from a club that's really about playing the homegrowns to having three veteran South American midfielders uh, filling out the, the center of the midfield? team these uh, days?
2: Yeah, actually, I have a pretty strong take on that. Um, if I was looking back at the, the sporting game and the Kansas City game. Not sorry. That's the same team. Sporting in Kansas City. <laughs> and uh, the Colorado game, trying to see what the differences were. And one of the very most obvious ones is that Testman started over Acosta. in both of those games. And then Acosta comes back and you get Three out of four games without goals. Now the one, of course, difference in there is that Acosta did sit out the Atlanta game, but the Atlanta game had all kinds of mentality. issues just where the team kind of basically sat back and assumed they were going to walk over. It didn't, but effectively Acosta's been in for three of the last four when your office has gone to garbage three of the last four. So I, while I look at his individual numbers, I look at his individual play, and I think well, a couple of those were pretty decent performances, but the team stunk. So. There's, you're not going to be able to convince me that Acosta is actually helping this team win when, when your two highest scoring games of the year were the two games he missed after he got suspended and Tessman started both. So,
0: Yeah, and, and just to kind of dig into the weeds a little bit, of the last four games, they have only scored two goals. But don't forget, one of those goals was a penalty kick in the 53rd minute of the of the Columbus game, and the first goal was a Michael Barrios header, who was left wide open on a terribly broken defensive coverage issue um, for a super easy goal, and that's it over the course of the last four games. Yeah, and and what I can't quite uh, cotton here is where the breakdown. Coming, I mean, you know, Ricarte came out had a couple of really, really solid first few performances, but he really seems to be struggling uh, in trying to uh, create more opportunities that turn into real danger.
2: I think I don't maybe Dan might disagree with me, but um, on terms of Ricarte, um, I think the front three are too static. I think there's not enough. extra gaps or chaos being created because those guys are basically all in their channels and playing in their channels and the teams that defend Dallas with these mid to low blocks, when they're really patient, they just sit there, they just wait, you know, and nothing, nothing puts them in or any pressure or stretches them at all or opens any gaps. And it's impossible for even, I mean, maybe Messi could do something with that by dribbling through everybody, but Ricardo's not a dribbler. So, you know, he's just not getting the opportunities to find people. I don't think in the final third, that's, that's how I read it.
1: I think you're you're dead on there. Um, think back to like the 2015, 2016 teams you had. Uh, you know, C- Castillo constantly cutting inside from the left. Barrios or um, Andres Escobar from the right. Uh, uh, Marad Diaz when he was uh, you know not hurt or sad or whatever <laughs> was uh, you know constantly popping up around the edge of the area that. And and Blazer's dropping back. Everyone's kind of interchanging. There's so much movement that they're dragging defenders out of position. Um you know, that which especially in a game like yesterday, when you're dealing with a low block and such a compressed defense, that's that's how you make space. Um just just going in those in those three columns is it doesn't help. And you know, sometimes the point of Of switching the wingers is is to change the habits and and draw inside but instead it's just really barrios fancies the right today tomorrow he fancies the left it's who you know whatever the the defensive frailties on there's no real it it loses its dynamic almost um looking at yesterday's game uh they had what I, i wrote it down it is FC Dallas had 46 touches inside the Houston box. And Hara had something like eight of those. Mm. It's. Yeah. That's what I
2: mean about not getting the ball to him in the right yeah. positions.
1: Yeah. There's, there was a lot of, it's a lot of passing around the edge of the box and then, you know, no one's really trying a shot or they're just part, you know recycling the ball out wide again. Or, uh, further back and then someone's just trying to trying to shot from the distance it was it was a team devoid of ideas and you know potentially a striker uh, you know struggling to find space and play and teammates struggling to use their imagination to find him in any space
0: yeah, you know, it's funny when you go back and you think about the game against Oscar and Orlando City and then the Columbus game and then the Houston game, and clearly the Houston result is woefully embarrassing. I mean, that's... Just, uh, I don't know any other way to say it, but I also find um, an equal, a different but equal frustration with the Columbus game, um, and I know that they were missing one key player the entire game, but they lost Solarian at halftime. They had the lead twice, and one of the... Uh, kind of things that is popping up here and there with this team is is the off switch uh, gets hit every once in a while. I, I think I'm saying this correctly. both of the uh, goals against Columbus were just poor turnovers um, in in their half of the field. Obviously, the turnover last night in Houston that allowed them to score, and if they probably should have scored prior to that on another turnover. Um, uh, and and it, the team just mentally looks fatigued in many ways, and, and that's probably not – you really can't blame them for that, and you see that a lot across a lot of these MLS teams with this crazy schedule they're playing.
2: Yeah, this is one of the things that Lucci's going to really have to work at. And you saw the Houston game. You saw how horrible Santos was and had to lift him to halftime. And you remember that leading into the Orlando game – uh, Lucci twice had uh, in back-to-back games had rotated a lot of his squad in order to try and keep guys fresh, and that probably contributed to the high-scoring games against Colorado and Sporting because of the fact that they rotated guys in and out of those games, you know, and and had other guys start and gave the lineup a freshness and gave some guys with some legs chances. Um, you know, it's it's definitely a case where the overload of schedule is going to beat down all these teams and it's going to create a high level of mistakes. And the teams that can stay the freshest and make the least amount of mistakes are going to end up at the top end of the standings because with so many limited number of games, you're not going to get your full schedule. The standings are going to be tighter. I mean, you look at the Western Conference, it's like four points between, you know, 10 teams. So it's going to be a crapshoot if you can manage your roster well enough.
0: Yeah. And, And Buzz, you mentioned this earlier in terms of kind of static play up front. Uh, and that was clearly on display in the Houston game last night as Houston just kind of packed the box and Dallas really struggled to create anything positive um, uh, in the boxes as they kind of uh, got stalled on the buildup. But in particular with Barrios and Fafa Pico, uh, I think we kind of have talked about the the Barrios issue, lost a step, kind of frustrating, he's kind of a streaky player. Uh, but if you look at the other side and Fafa Pico, who's a player I'm vaguely familiar with, with his time in Philadelphia, I'm not sure that I have a real sense as to what his skill set is. He looks pretty fast. He looks like he wants to take on defenders, but I'm not sure I've seen him actually consistently uh, uh, beat defenders on the ball, on the dribble, into the box.
2: Yeah, um, It it depends on, we've talked about this a little bit before. It depends on how fast the outside back is, you know, and if he's got enough of an overload help to create a little tension in that back, then he really can tear a guy apart. You know Um, it depends a lot on the level of competition. Um, I I actually have some thoughts about what with regard to that against Houston, because one of the ways you overload a, a blow block is by having extra players come into the zone and playing a little rondo, as Ritchie calls them, a little tiki tacky little quick passes to break those formations. In particular, one reason why I was mad that Barrio switched sides is because he and Brian are developing a relationship with that. Uh, I'd like to see Hollingshead make more runs in there, and that would open some gaps for Fafa Pico as well, I think.
0: Why aren't we seeing more secondary runs out of the midfield players, the center midfield players? You've got three of them in there. We don't ever see somebody trying to get in behind the defense on delayed runs. It all feels very static and, and not very well, I hate to say this, but it just doesn't feel very well coached in terms of what they're supposed to do in that situation because I think the entire league knows the team's not very good at breaking that down.
2: Yeah, uh, some of that is just the nature of players. You know, Acosta is not really that kind of player. Um, And McCarty seems like, we talked about this when we saw the original tape on McCarty, that he was more of a late guy coming in and liked to sort of play underneath rather than penetrate. I mean, of the people that play in that sort of area of the field, I can think of Roberts being more of a little bit of a follower behind the striker. Although he's not going to play for Lucci anytime soon, I doubt. Um, and really, Brandon Servania is the other guy that's really good about getting forward. You remember last year, Dan, the end of the season, he had that really high X goal added because he was jumping out way above the team because he is such good in that.
1: Uh, no, absolutely. Um, like you say, it's, it's a little bit of a struggle. And it goes back to exactly what you said earlier of of young guys who just aren't necessarily getting the minutes. So that then you can't, you know, in some ways, count them that late in games.
0: But Dan, I'm I'm thinking as you're watching that game and making notes, what what is the missing? What are the missing elements of what this team needs to be doing to uh, score goals? Like what what is the obvious tactical or performance issues for you?
1: I mean the the, the thing that stuck out to me, and it was it was really specific to that game. Uh, you know, the whole 28 shots, only eight on target was just how many were coming from outside the box. Just that, you know, you mentioned quick passes to. To, to break apart the shape to pull out the defenders. Instead it was recycle it to whoever was in midfield and then someone takes a shot from distance and, and you know, all, all your build-ups for nothing. Um, yeah, it's just it's incredibly frustrating. Very wasteful with corners as well. Um, you know, yeah, 15
0: corners, and, I'm, and I'm, I don't think I'm exaggerating to say, out of the 15 corners, I don't think a single one of them uh, directly resulted in a, in, a, in a clear chance on goal.
1: No, I was looking at uh, Ricarte. Ricarte had uh, 10 on his own. Only two of them actually made it to a player. One of them was a short corner, and the other one, uh, <laughs> Ryan Hollins had tried a shot that ended up near the corner flag.
2: That's actually one of my questions I have for Lucci tomorrow, is why it changed from Reto. And it wasn't just the second half. It's like... Uh, the, the whole game, Ricarte was yeah. taking corners. I looked, and, and Ziegler had like one, I think, he took during the game. So I don't know why that happened, because Ziegler's really good at corners. So
1: it's Yeah, I, I wasn't them. sure if they were trying to maybe use Ziegler's height a little more and, and put him on the other end of him, but it, it's since coming come into the team, you've, you've suddenly got two left-footed guys who are adept corner takers who are – also on the higher end of the payroll, it's, uh, it's it's been interesting to see what's happening, whether it's been they've just alternated or I don't, it, it's almost like that that penalty situation.
2: <laughs> yeah, there's definitely some growing pains with accommodating high-priced star players into a team mid with both Ricarte and Hara. I mean, they're not necessarily negative. There definitely are some pains to that, um, and and I actually have some thoughts related to this midfield problem. Uh, if this is a good time, Peter, to talk yeah, about related no, to outside I think it's backs, a great time, yeah. Right, because the Columbus game, which where Dallas had a little more offense and did score some goals, right? I, I said that that was one of Ryan Hollingshead's best games of the year, maybe even his best game, right? And let's think back to uh, the Colorado and the sporting games again, when Brian Reynolds was fresh into the lineup and he was going gangbusters up the wing with combining with Barrios and overlapping and going crazy. And then the Orlando game happened, And they talked to him about being smart and sitting back and playing defense because of Nani, right? Mm -hmm. And since then, Brian has been a little more conservative and a little more defensive in the three games since then. And the offense has basically collapsed. So we've talked about this many times with this system. The outside backs have to overlap and have to overload in order to create the five-man midfield, in order to create the extra player getting into the final third that makes the defenses have to react when there's an extra player, when there's an overload. So I think that they're asking, um, I don't know what whether Ryan's being asked to do this or not. He just hasn't been as great this season. But they're definitely, lately, they've been asking Brian to be more defensive. And I think it's hurting this team. I think you've got to have those guys going like gangbusters up the wings. And maybe, Ryan, on the other side, is because it's Fafa, then it's Santi, then it's Fafa. Maybe that's part of it. But um, I think a lot of the disconnect is coming from that very problem.
0: Yeah, the other thing that just consistently bothers me, and I'm just going to chalk this up to Lucci ball because it's the only way I can describe it. Because it certainly wasn't necessary. Well, at it, it times was a, an issue with Perea's teams, but this this was an issue last year and continues to just drive me nuts this year. Is how slow. The team is in terms of uh, of going forward. They just don't seem to have any real initiative. They seem far more interested in retaining possession and passing the ball laterally back and forth, and kind of picking and choosing their opportunities. But even when uh, they give up a shot, and Morrow starts the counter or starts an opportunity, there very rarely does there seem to be a lot of interest in vertical and doing what this team does have a little bit of uh, an advantage of in terms of Pico uh, and Barrios is a little bit of speed. And I just don't see them do that enough. And, and, and I don't understand why this team plays that way consistently.
2: There's been a couple of games this year where um, Ziegler and Hedges both have mentioned uh, what they refer to as not playing quick enough when they come out of the back. And I think that's what they mean. I think that they mean that once they break the press, because you know how it is when teams play Dallas, they high press for a moment. And then once you break the press, then they drop into a mid to low block. Sure. So um, I think that's what Hedges and, and Ziegler are talking about, is that once you break that initial press, there needs to be some alacrity by Dallas in getting forward, Lucci, Lucci with his old rondos, right? Ping, 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 ping. Getting forward and taking advantage of some of that verticality and quicker getting into the offensive third before the opposition can set up in that double line of four block again. I think that's what they're talking about when they say that. What they when the, what they mean by we've got to play quicker once we go forward.
0: Yeah, but I, that's the part that I don't get, and it's not it's not exclusive to any one player. It's almost like a team mentality. If they break the press and either or Hollingshead gets the ball, more times than not, one of those two guys is going to step on the ball because they get kind of blocked, they can't go forward, they choose not to play behind the defense, they choose to stop and play backwards and start over again. The ball goes from them into the middle of the field, Santos, uh, Tesman, Ricarte, Acosta. Man, the play from that particular part of the field is just so lethargic and not... It, it just doesn't seem to have any real verve to it, especially when you compare it to some other teams. And, and, and again, it, 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 that almost feels like a tactic and a strategy and a direction versus the qualities of the individual
2: players. Yeah. My assumption is that it's basically the, the coached, um, reliant, not reliance, the coached, uh, value of the ball, like the whole, we don't want to lose it and have you be in an attacking position and score quickly. Like, I mm-hmm. think that that mentality to value it s- so much that you don't want to risk losing it is what's causing that. So I, that's actually a characteristic that I put at the feet of Lucci because it it is a mind frame that you need to switch as a player. with something we talk about in modern football all the time, transitional quickness, how quickly you can recognize that we don't have the ball and now we're going the other way and vice versa. And it's the same thing. as Once you break that press, you need to be able to turn your brain and go, let's go. You know, that's the thing Oscar's team's really thrived on, and this team seems to not have it. So uh, I'm guessing it's a coaching thing that Loach is is putting over-emphasis on valuing the ball.
1: I find it kind of interesting. We've seen um, the past couple of preseasons, they've had this – they've been trying this one long ball. uh, If they can't recycle out the back, it was um, either Acosta drops between the center backs or Reto. Uh, does it, but it'll, you know, it'll come back from from the fallback. You can't make the run out, and then uh Reto will ping it left footed to the right, or um, or a coster will go right footed to the left wing, and you know, and the premise is, if we can't get through you, we're going to run through you, and twice this season, I've twice this season they've used that to score, and it's kind of weird when you think that you know the whole counter attack in fc dallas thing was this is what f- this is the physical trait of fc dallas that most teams can't can't deal with so do it again and again and again and again um with that with that one play they just they seem to shy away from it it's like we'll we'll, we'll do it once and then you know f- let us sit for five games and it can be the secret weapon great the secret weapon is that Fafa Pico and Michael Barrios are, are pretty quick guys um it's weird because you know we know that's that's a tactical concept that they've worked on and Lucci's talked about for two three seasons in a row how important that tactical concept is going to be and then we don't see it very often
0: yeah I was just looking uh Dallas is actually tied for the second least number of goals scored in the Western Conference at 21 tied Real Salt Lake, which is in 10th place, and the Galaxy, who are in last place, and only three more than the team with the least amount of goals, which is Vancouver, which have 18 goals and sit in 11. Um, and there are teams in the uh, East that have scored a lot less goals, but have also given up less than Dallas has as well, and it just continues to be... A weird problem considering, uh, I, I do believe ultimately a lot of this is just a byproduct of the fact that the team had tri- has essentially tried to glue uh, the majority of its spine into this new season on a limited number of games. With, with Santos, who again, just got here you know at the beginning of the season, is trying to work his way into the league. Uh, he had never played anywhere other than Brazil. You've now got Ricarte in the middle of the field, who just got here, and Hara up top, who just got here.
2: Yeah, I think that's absolutely a legitimate concern. Um, you know, you, you felt good about your center back combo, you know, and and, and you liked. You could even include Fafa Pico into that equation too, since we don't have us like Zanti as a as a new piece as well. So really, two of your front three, other than Barrios, are are new, and and then you have guys that are contributing in midfield, Tessman, who's new, as well. So you know, it's you're basically Lucci's trying to cobble together a team here in a season of chaos and, and insanity that is the COVID situation and and games being canceled and the team being kicked out of tournaments. And it certainly can't be easy and probably it should be no surprise that it is happening. And really maybe we should all be relatively happy that, uh, the team is at least in the middle of the pack. And, and as you say, Peter, all these new pieces, it comes back to the part that was the same, right? Maurer, we knew about. The center backs, we knew about. said we knew about. Brian Reynolds, those of, the, those of us that have watched practice knew about him and Cannon before him, we knew about. Giant Nelson, we knew about. Him. Those guys have all been together for three or four seasons, uh, whether it be in training or on a field. And all the new pieces are on the offensive end. So really, it should be no surprise that the offensive end is where the struggle is. Um, so
0: the other, uh, let's talk a little bit about Thiago Santos, who, uh, at, at, at his, <laughs> at his age, man, he really has, uh, there's been so many things about his game that we've all really enjoyed his work ethic, his willingness to carry the ball seemed to be something he was wanting to do early in the season and his backed off on. But man, when Santos comes into a game and he's not, uh, fully fit or a hundred percent in terms of, uh, uh recovery, he is a he can be a quite a liability.
1: Spurning mildly, that was uh, that was quite a flame-out. Uh, so did anyone actually see the uh, get a good view of the giveaway on the goal when I watched the replay this morning? They only had like a cutaway from a replay.
0: No, and in fact, what I I didn't even realize it was Santos that turn turned the ball over. Um, and I'm assuming, you know, I don't know what Mark and Steve saw because they're obviously not at the game. They're having to watch the same footage that we are. So somehow they figured out it was Santos that turned the ball over. But I will point out that there was a sequence when, when uh, Quintero hit the uh, crossbar uh, in the moments prior to that, it was a very similar situation where Santos was caught trying to catch him from behind Uh, And he just didn't look to have any energy and, and he really looked out of position in those situations. I don't know how the turnover happened.
2: Yeah. He's um, I think it's absolutely no question that he's struggling with the calendar, with the amount of games Um, you know, when he got a little bit of a rest, he looked really good. But then when it's back to back, all of a sudden it's like complete flame out. Um, And it's not just, it's, it's both, mistakes in positioning and it's mistakes in touch. Like he gets lackadaisical with his touch and he makes a couple bad passes. And even just the mobility is more limited. And and part of it too is comes from him being on an Island lately. Like there are no more double six happening. It's now a single six more often. And that requires him to go more sideline to sideline. And he really just can't do it at his age. You know, it's, it's just a, we're looking at a team that is, Gotten old fast. You know, Ricarte is a twenty. It's so
0: weird for you to say that. You didn't realize how silly that sounds.
2: Well, I know, but Reynolds is the only kid that plays. Everybody else is like 29, 30, 31, 32. I mean, even Barrios is 29, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Acosta is 26, you know, 27, whatever he is, like something right around that range. So, you know, he's prime of his career, but not necessarily the most... Humongously dynamic player out there, but everybody else is. I, I, Ricarte's twenty nine now, so it's like you know you are looking at a guy, a team that all of a sudden is full of thirty year olds. And when you play in a schedule like this, you are gonna fall apart. You know, if you try and play every game like that, you are gonna have to aggressively, aggressively rotate this team and have a lot of these kids play a lot of minutes, or else you are gonna lose ten games going down the rest
1: of the stretch. It's kind of funny, it's almost like uh, 2017 when Perea brought in a bunch of 30 plus guys to to play CCL knowing that the schedule was going to be insane, Uh, you know, going from guys who were far under their peak to to over their peak now, and except, uh, you know, this year it all came before COVID with just MLS and potentially US Open Cup, it's... Yeah, it it, it really goes back to to the article you wrote, Buzz, about, you know, are they throwing in the the play your kids movement midseason?
2: Yeah, they definitely, I think for right now, at least on this season, have basically thrown in play your kids, you know, I mean, none of them are playing except for Reynolds anymore. I mean, I'll, of course, Jesus still plays. But okay, but I, wanna a, but I
0: want to, but I want to ask you a question because somebody asked me this, uh, and somebody sent me a message, or a, I don't know, somebody asked me this question after the game last night, and and I thought it was kind of a silly question when it first asked, and then I started thinking about it, and I wondered, and, and the question is this: Is Lucci making these lineup decisions on his own accord, or do you, do you does anybody feel like he's under pressure? From Dan Hunt and/or Clark Hunt or whoever uh, to play the big money foreign signings, the guys that are making the six, seven hundred, one million dollar salaries.
2: I I don't know that Dan Hunt is the kind of person that would have said flat out, "You're going to play the guy I signed." He's not quite that arrogant in my dealings with him, but I do think that <laughs> Lucci one hundred percent knows that this guy got paid a million dollars and his owner signed him and knows that he has to play him because when he got here, he went right into the lineup, despite the fact that Cobra was out playing him in every way possible.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't think
2: there's any question that there's an immense amount of pressure to play that guy. Uh, and, you know, for, to a certain point, he did a pretty good job for a couple of games there. There was a nice stretch, but um, like everybody else that's in their mid thirties, you know, he probably needs games off too.
0: Oh boy, he he looked like he
2: needed a nap in the worst possible way last night. I mean, that whole team did, but maybe some of that's Houston. I mean, Reto did pretty good. He didn't look like he was tired, you know. Um, but then he got subbed out partway through the game. So,
0: um, uh, the other th- what was the other note I was thinking about the Houston game? So just you know, here's the deal: we've all watched enough soccer um, uh, to understand that that's a really terrible situation to be in sometimes as a team where you're down one, nothing. And then the other team loses a man and just decides to pack it in. I mean, that's one of the hardest things to overcome in many ways in the league, especially when you're very good at breaking that down on the first part. But I, my question to both of you, and I want honest, honest answers when they went into halftime down, one, nothing uh, up a man. Did either one of you think they were going to come back and either tie or win that game?
1: Dan, you want to go first? Uh, it's tough for me because I was getting score updates on my phone <laughs> yesterday. And then when I watched the game this morning, obviously I knew. But but based know, on what I, you
0: saw, that's right, because you watched it. You didn't watch it until this morning. But based on, based on what you had just witnessed in the 45 minutes prior to that, did you think they were going to come back and win it or tie it or get anything uh, out of it?
1: My honest thought was, you know, Houston had that nice high press and, you know, Dallas looked like, you know, going down to turn if, if Houston didn't drastically change it and Dallas looked like they were capable of breaking it. Obviously, they went to the low block and the rest is history. I'll tell you my answer. A
2: hundred percent. No, I did not think they would win. And it was because uh, over the first 20 minutes, they had multiple, multiple chances to score and didn't. And I knew in that moment they were in trouble. And I even talked about this. I even tweeted something about it. And then I talked about it in my instant reaction after the game, because when Houston countered and scored with limited amounts of the ball, I thought, well, I, now I know how this game's going. And then when that guy got that red card, we went into halftime. I thought to myself, Dallas sucks at breaking down a low block. Houston's going to bunker four, four, one, no, Dallas is not going to score. They're going to lose this game. Now, should you win that game? 100% for sure. Out of 100 times, you should win that game, up for 45 minutes up a man. But I knew for a fact that, well, it's not a fact. I knew 100% in my convictions that they weren't going to.
0: What do you think Lucci can do to fix the issue of this team's problems breaking down a low block?
2: Boy, that's tough. Yeah. Um, like I said, I think there's two ways that you can break a low block. Um, one is to do what they did, which is just a fire a thousand balls into the box and hope your big guys can. <laughs> they beat clearly their big did guys. not work very well. No, it doesn't work for Dallas yeah. because they don't have any big, great <laughs> headers of the ball. the The other thing you can do is to overload sections, like I talked about. You have to have your outside backs or your extra midfielders come into a zone or and then outnumber somebody which can make the defenders have to then shift. Like the center back has to come out to take the extra player. So then you have a gap. And the last way is that you just have to have a player capable of beating one or two players on their own and scoring. Now the guy that came closest to doing that last night was Michael Barrios. But one of the things I wrote about my breakdown was he switched to the other side because he wanted to be able to make a couple of cuts and have the ball on his right foot so he could shoot his better foot. Well, the problem with that is the defenders are going to know that, and they're going to try and take you to the end line. And then Barrios is, of course, stuck trying to cross left-footed, which isn't his strong suit. So I actually thought it was a bad idea. I mean, I knew what he was trying to do, but uh, it didn't work. And nobody else seemed to really relish the idea of, like, I'm going to beat two guys and score. Like, they don't have anybody without Paxton. That's what they were missing to me. was, like, they didn't have a guy who will – you know, with his hair on fire, go at dudes two or three at a time. You know, Dante Sealy does that in in lower league play. He does that in the academy and stuff like that, but he's not ready to do that in MLS. So, uh, you know, that was part of why I just knew nothing was going to happen.
0: Have we all uh, been a little bit uh, intoxicated by the Ricardo Pepe train? You know, we've seen him come in late in games, and I don't know if it's unfair to say that, we just haven't seen a lot from him uh, of late. Uh, I don't know when the last time he scored a goal. I don't even know when the last time he had a really good opportunity was. Uh, is he a victim, A, of just coming into bad situations late in game, B, being played out of position, or C, we just uh, drank too much of uh, Buzz's Kool-Aid?
2: Well, his metrics remain really high. His XG and goals added and stuff like that remain really high. So he's playing right. Um, some of it is like right now because the way Haro plays as a false nine, they're more likely to go to Jesus in that spot, and so Lucci's using him more as a wing, which is obviously not his natural position. I mean, Lucci has told him he wants him to be a striker across the whole line and not a nine. But um, you know, it's it's going to be the same as Barrios and Fafa when you go to Pepe. He's a guy that likes to play over the top, and this team doesn't play over the top. They don't break right, so it's you know, he's not going to it's not going to play to his strengths. A uh,
0: scenario played out last night that would have been horrifying to realize uh, had befallen the team uh, but was also instantly fascinating to figure out how they were going to solve it when it appeared that Brisson had gotten a red card uh, and with Hedges out being injured and uh, you're going to have to assume is going to be out for at least a couple of weeks with a hamstring injury um, and Brisson now out uh, with his red card. What would have been the defensive lineup against Minnesota this weekend if, in fact, the red card hadn't been overturned?
2: Well, that's not out of the woods yet. I mean, Brisson hyperextended his knee, and then he kept playing. Sometimes when you get on a plane and then sit around, that oh, that's, that's a great up point. Yeah, so that's right. That's I would it. not assume, yeah.
0: Yeah, um, I, before you move on to that answer, I just want to yeah. say, did, could it, uh, we all saw the replay.
2: Yeah. He was convinced like he had blown man. it out, right? Yeah. I mean, there was a chance he could have blown it out and it's possible he may have strained it. We don't know. He certainly hyperextended it. It certainly could have, as the adrenaline worn off, it could have started to swell. You get on a plane, it starts to swell. You ride on a bus, it starts to swell. You go home and sleep in your, ho- in your house and it starts to swell. And the next day you can't walk. <laughs> walk so,
0: up the, wake up the next morning and yeah. you're like, oh you're no. Toast.
2: I mean, it happens. It's not <laughs> yeah. unusual. For, yeah. No yeah. Doubt. I mean, if you've ever done anything like that to your knee, even like a day later, sometimes all of a sudden it's like the whole thing locks up and you got nothing. So, okay, so uh, let's say Brisson
0: yeah. woke up with a balloon knee this morning. Yeah. Who are the two starting center backs, or what is the defensive lineup for uh, the Minnesota game?
2: Well, my answer would be Tanner Testman because I've seen him play that in the academy, and I think he has all the skills to be a multi million dollar center back. But we think, well, I'm sure we all think this, the answer will be Ryan Hollingshead. Oh, no, are you serious? I mean, why wouldn't yeah. it be? Well, I mean, and a two, then, Wait, wait, wait. In a three-man
0: back line, center backs or two center backs?
2: Well, that'll depend on the opponent. I would assume it's in a four, and it'll be him and. Oh, right geez. Side. Hedges is out, too. Reto. Yeah. Reto's still alive. Um, yeah, it'll be head and Reto. Or, as you say, it could be a three-man back line. When, then it could be... Um, oh, man, who could it be? Well, Johnny Nelson can play center back, uh, left center back, in a three-man back line. It's not great, but he can do it. Um, and then you'd have Reto and Holling's said because Reynolds Reynolds has played center back with a, a U, U.S. youth national team, so he could do it. But I wouldn't want to take him off the wing, so you would use him as a wing back, I think. And then the other side would be man, I don't know if you because can, you can't bring. Here's the kicker: you can. They finally sent Nikosi Burgess down to join North Texas, right? They're finally like, oh. okay, let's send him. He did not have COVID. He's not on my. He's not on my list. He has no antibodies, so he can't come back without quarantine. Wait, I thought you told
0: us you could go to 7-Eleven and buy the antibodies.
2: Uh, yes. Yeah. No. From, okay. from, from Silent Bob. Um, <laughs> and then Callum <laughs> Montgomery's Probably with San Antonio. I do a whole lot about him. <laughs> yeah. Callum <laughs> Montgomery's with San Antonio, so he can't come back without breaking protocol without a quarantine either. Oh, no. So your two options are basically kaput. Uh, you know, well, I- if Wow. I was
0: fascinated last night in the actual Houston game as 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 Brisson is you know <laughs> demonstrating uh, against his red card. It began to realize. Well, wait a second. Hedges is hurt. They've subbed. <laughs> they've subbed out um, Ziegler, and Brisson was the only defense center defensive cover on the bench. Who's going to play in the back line for the rest of this game? If in fact Brisson had gotten a red card last night, and you could see that he was talking to Ryan to fill in one of those spots, but I don't yeah. know how he was going to manage it from that point out. And he got lucky. Lucci got lucky uh, and VAR overturned it.
2: Yeah. You could claim that there's a uh, poor roster build here in the sense that you knew N- Nikosi Burgess probably was never going to be ready this season. And you knew you wanted to send Montgomery out for an extended run to try and get him ready. And we've been playing the, the whole we we've been watching FC Dallas play the whole season with basically one backup center back. And when he would check in, you'd have no backup center back. So um, it is a question mark in my mind.
0: Dan, do you think uh, Lucci uh, fancies Ryan too much as a, as a, as a potential backup center back?
1: I think he kind of views him like, you know, you know how how youth teams always have that one guy who can play anywhere, and you know that's been Ta- that's been Tanner, that's been Brian, that's been well not Reggie, that's been Edwin Serrio. That doesn't necessarily translate that well into into first team football. And, uh, you know, Ryan definitely he can play everywhere, but he can't play everywhere particularly well. Hmm.
0: Uh, since you mentioned his name, I, I will ask uh, this question I had written down. Um, can somebody explain to me what exactly has happened to Mr. Cerrio and Mr. Cervania who have gone absolutely ghost on this team? I don't, I, I can't quite cotton what has happened to the progression of those two center midfielders.
2: Well, Cervania's is easy. You know, when Acosta was suspended or hurt and he got a chance to play, Tanner outplayed him. So that one's pretty much like a head to head, scenario and Tanner has been better. Um, Edwin is still in the mode uh, of trying to build him for the future. He's still not uh, a, you know, do you remember the piece I wrote a year ago called um, bridging the gap? It was about the young homegrown guys that have been signed that the, there's a difference between guys that are on the roster for, for, for development and guys that are on the roster because they actually play and Paxson made the leap across that gap and became a guy that played. Edwin's still a guy on the bottom end of that gap. He's still a guy that's on the team for development reasons. So basically, in my estimation, they're sending him down to North Texas because he is 20, and they're trying to push his progression with the idea that either the next season or or maybe worst case, the season after, he's ready to be your starting midfielder. So that's why they're sending him down and making him play with North Texas all the time. But yeah, they don't have enough confidence that he can start as the six you remember end of last year when when uh they were missing a six when grezzo got sold acosta played six and that's what would happen now like if you needed a starting six uh well well i'll say this but hypothetically if you needed a starting six it would be acosta
1: it's also if uh you know even for the more recent stuff uh getting the red card for for the headbutt for north texas getting suspended and then just gave away uh the penalty. So his uh, yeah, that was stock a tough call. Kind of a penalty, but
2: he definitely gave it away. But a little bit of a harsh
1: call. Uh, it was. It, he's making some pretty poor decisions either way, though.
0: <laughs> Are you just trying to be polite and not say yeah. what's really on mind, Dan? I I can't quite tell where you're
1: going. Uh, no, it was. Uh, I mean, it was a young player getting young player mindset out.
2: All right. yeah. Well, th- th- that is what that is why you're sending him down, right? You want him to play through these kinds of things. You know, being a six, a lot of it is about game reading and decision making. So, you know, there's always going to be growing pains for young sixes as they become pros. And so him playing a lot with North Texas, I think, should be expected to continue because they want, they're want they trying, just like Callum Montgomery, they're trying to push him to get ready to be the guy eventually. So that's yeah. where and everyone
1: you, is. And Callum Montgomery is a perfect uh, perfect example because last season – you know, early in preseason, and then for North Texas, we saw he was making some really dumb decisions. Passing, he could, you know, he he may not have the best feet, but he could make a pass. But he would then pass his fallback or 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 Breck or, or their six into into difficulty. And we saw the the progression by the end of the season, and now going up into USL Championship. Uh, so yeah, definitely, you know that that is totally a valid point with, with Edwin that, you know, you want him to get rid of those teething problems in North Texas.
0: Yeah, I just, you know, when you, when you think about where this team, um, you know, the, the, the hype on this particular team was, look at all this product that it is growing, but you really stop and look at the current situation, it, it, it raises a lot of questions. You think of Jesus' situation, what's going on with him? Uh, the 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 stagnant growth of Cervania and Cereo, clearly the injury issues with Pommecoul. They got rid of Reggie. They sold him off. That was kind of the plan all along, right? Uh, Pepe is is very young, and there's you you see where I'm going with this, which is you know the 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 really kind of lead story about Sea Dallas is all of this product it's growing and how it's turning into um um it, it's turning into good positive results on the field. And and it certainly doesn't feel that way currently and hasn't for a while.
2: Well, that's weird. I just heard you say the name Brian Reynolds like eight times, so I don't really know. No, but, okay. No. <laughs> I didn't throw Brian. No, you're right.
0: No, Brian yeah. is obviously a good one to go in there, and 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 we've had lots of conversations about. It. But I'm speaking specifically about these important positions, attacking positions, the ones that are yeah. scoring the goals and really grab all the headlines. I mean, you're right, and I and I apologize for leaving Brian out of that. I'm not. I didn't do that on purpose, but I I am thinking specifically about all of these grand conversations about a midfield run by Academy products. And we're now two and three years absent, you know, beyond that those original conversations and we're not seeing it.
2: Yeah. Well, the serious answer that I was going to give you was that um, young players need a lot of time to progress. They need to be brought along slowly. The player that can walk in, and play is extraordinarily rare. And I'll, I'll explain that by saying, you know, Paxson we love, we're a really excited about him. Jesus last year we were Brian. We really love what he's doing right now. All three of those guys have been a pro for four years now. Right? Mm-hmm. So Edwin is in his second year. Thomas is in his second year. Tanner's in his first year. Uh, Brandon's in his third year. So you know, those guys, you want to see them moving in over the, you, you know, to see them have been become a big playing effective MLS player all at this point is too early. You know, it's like these kids all get super fired up that they think they're going to walk in and play a ton. That's actually really, really rare and really, really hard to do. Yeah. It should be at least two if not three seasons of being a pro, a pro in training and going down to North Texas before you're going to expect to see anything out of a kid, in my opinion. So that's the answer to those questions. And the fact that we've seen Edwin start some games and seen Thomas start some games is actually really, really exciting for their future. You want to see them continue to get slop minutes like Dante Sealy getting, right? for over the rest of this season with the idea that at some point, maybe next year when they're in their third year or maybe even fourth year, depending on the guy is when you're going to start to see them start, you know, 15 year old kids don't start in MLS 17, 18 year old kids don't start in MLS. Brian Reynolds is 19 and just now getting to play. So it's going to be 2021, Really, for the normal person, and it, if not at least 19, before you're going to see them get much action, it's just too early for these kids.
0: But, Buzz, as somebody who has watched all of these guys uh, very closely for years and you know them like the back of your hand, yeah. uh, do you continue to feel confident that Cerio, Cervania, Palmacal, Ferreira, those guys are going to turn out to be productive Uh, Players for FC in the near future. Not obviously not this season, but in 2021.
2: I do. Uh, Paxton is just a health question. That's, you know, I can't answer a health question. Like, I have no idea if Paxton's ever going to be 100% healthy again. I mean, I I really don't. Mm -hmm. Um, Edwin Cirillo, I would say, as Dan mentioned, is just a little bit of deer in the headlights right now. And I think the more he plays with North Texas and the more he gets spot minutes the better it will get. And I actually think that middle of next year, probably you'll start to see him get ready to start. Um, who else are we talking about? Hey, Sus Hey Suze, I'm worried about, but I think it's just mental. I think it's just confidence in himself. His coach mm-hmm. has confidence in him. Clearly. I think right now, you know, guys have been brought in that play where he plays and now he's not a starter They're kind of moving him around. I think he's just sort of lost the plot, if you will. But I, I think if you give him time, he's too good of a player You know, he needs to, uh, I'm not going to say toughen up, but maybe just find something in himself mentally to be like, dig deep and just persevere. And this is true. We've talked about this before with any of these kids, right? They've been the best player in their team their whole life without even trying. And they finally have gotten to this pro contract and they expected to continue to be like that. And it's not, you're now at a level where everybody can ball and everybody can play and you have to dig into your guts and find it and figure out how to make it happen for yourself. And I'll use Thomas Roberts as a great example of this, right? We talked a couple of podcasts ago about the extra work he's doing now outside of the team, right? He went to work with a trainer to work on his strength, and he's clearly stronger. He's clearly mm-hmm. shouldering off defenders that are hitting him better. When you watch him with North Texas, he's clearly fitter because he was working on some little, uh, little nagging little things. He's building some strength in that area's. And he's taken it upon himself to, I'm going to get better. He's working with Chewy, who was one of the FC Dallas coaches, on individual technique too. So he's decided that he's going to make himself better. That's what these kids all have to do. They have to reach down and find it. They all have the talent, you know, and you hope you see enough in them that they're going to do it. And I, of the kids that are signed at this point, I'm a believer that all of them are going to make it to at least be an MLS player. There's no more of these homegrowns right now being signed that don't have it that are just kind of like, and I'm going to be rough here to some people that like, let's, let's use, and I don't mean to be mean, let's use Moises Hernandez as an example. Moises Hernandez was not nearly the player that these guys are now. He was always, always just going to be a fringe player and a role player in MLS at best, and couldn't really take coaching. These new guys are at a higher level, in my opinion, and they all of them have what it takes, I think, so far to make it. Even Justin Che, the progression in the last two months with him is phenomenal. I'm real excited about his future. It's going to be three years before you see him at MLS for more than five minutes probably, but um, I think they all have what it takes now. The guys that are borderline now don't get signed anymore.
0: So, Dan, if uh, you're a sad FCD fan, and I don't mean that guy in particular that we uh, know and love on Twitter. Sad fans. But sad fans. But the, uh, the just the general concept of being an unhappy fan, we lost a Derby game against a <laughs> an, a very underwhelming Dynamo team. Uh, what, what's, what would you say are the likelihoods that Dallas is a team that can put something together and kind of repair this and, and go on a, a, a legit... Playoff run, or or maybe more likely, they're going to qualify for the playoffs, right, Dan?
1: The bloody better. Well, um, they're only
0: three. They're only two points ahead of Houston, <laughs> and three ahead of Salt Lake um, at this point. Who are the two teams sitting in out of the playoffs?
1: True, true. I mean, they're only there are only two points out of fourth as well. So that's um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, it's a very bizarre. Uh, and they have a game this. in hand too. That's very true. Um, I'm trying to think what the the run ins like. They've uh, got a super a, easy schedule. Yeah, that's kind of the problem.
2: Yeah, uh, they played right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, you probably see them play play pretty well against Minnesota, and then when uh, maybe in the Miami will rise like a salmon through the table with the uh, uh, the the fat Higuain. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that goal was sweet though dude
1: that was a sweet goal that, that yeah, was, about that was, it that was it, it didn't have a patch on our touros but you know right <laughs> um it, yeah it's it's I, I don't know how much of i mean we could we can't use the young team um excuse i mean in the, the second year head coach but this team just is, it's not the same team one week to the next. Uh, it was kind of funny listening to, uh, I asked um, Brian Reynolds recently about being the only team on some of these teams now when you go from one week playing with, you know, five or six homegrowns to the next with a bunch of 30-year-olds. And he said, you know, he, very diplomatically, he, he said, there's a real change of pace uh and that that really does dictate the game right mhm so we just have to watch watch it and see what happens
0: yeah but if you if you look at the rest of the schedule they play minnesota the, the rest of the schedule is front and backed with minnesota all right um and then they've got kansas city who is ahead of them in the standings but they've had some good results against lately then they have to go to nashville twice uh, they have to go to Salt Lake once. Enter Miami comes here. And they have Houston one more time here. So it goes Miami, Kansas. It goes uh, Miami here, Kansas City here, at Nashville, at Salt Lake, Miami here, Houston here, at Nashville, and ends. That's and This is the important part. The season ends at Nashville, which is the new game they rescheduled today, November the 4th, and then at Minnesota to end the season before in the playoffs.
2: Yeah, we said before that we liked the idea that you had 2 against Houston, 2 against Nashville, 2 against Minnesota, all teams that you've done or should be able either done well against or should do well against. Enters wasn't any good. Real wasn't any good. Sporting was the only good team you played. And against and them, you had good results against. It's like you couldn't ask for a better schedule. And now I'm worried <laughs> about theory. it. Right. In theory. In right. theory. Yeah. Because if they you play go back.
0: Yeah. Because if you think about the last four games, those are all four games you could look at on paper and go, Dallas should win these games. You've got two good teams in town that are on the road and missing players. And you're playing two pretty crappy teams that are on losing streaks or winless streaks. And you lost to both of those teams. So, uh, yeah, uh, when we were kind of giggling about how easy the schedule is uh, last pod or the pod before on the heels of now four games of of essentially one goal in the run of play in four games, uh, this seemed a little more daunting because several of these teams are just going to sit back and pack the box, by the way, too, because that's pretty much the tactic against the team.
2: Yeah, you better take care of your business at home. You got four at home and four away. You better better win your four home games uh, or you're not going to have much luck getting in, I don't think that's going to be the key home home form uh,
1: yeah and, and even um i'd asked Lucci uh, about it last week uh, you know how much the the home advantage had strengthened or or regressed in in covid um i'd asked him because you know we were talking about columbus being top of the east and being on a great run but they haven't Still haven't won a an away game since the restart,
0: and they've been uh, playing
1: a pretty sketchy schedule too. That's the other yeah. dark. the other.
0: That's the other dark secret about Columbus's run is they hadn't been playing a bunch of really top-notch teams.
1: Yeah, and they. Uh, but they were they'd managing to knock out like a one-one draw every week up until they got three put past them by Toronto. Um, you know, and it was kind of weird because he said, "Well, in some ways, it's it's harder." Physically, with the same day travel, but mentally and emotionally it's kind of easier and you're not necessarily facing a tough crowd. But, you know, we all know that players often say it's harder to play in Frisco because of the lack of a crowd um, compared to somewhere like Seattle. Uh, You know, it's it's interesting because it seems like everyone, every player and coach has a different take on on how tough away games should be right now in in this current situation, and actually, Dallas absolutely do need to do the work at home. But this should really be be the year to to start doing some away too. Yeah, when you look at the
2: standings, fourth through twelfth are all within one win of each other, basically right. four, five, and six wins. Fourth through twelfth in the West, so it's going to be right down to the wire, crap sheet about who's in, and who's out. Although the weird oddity of the whole standings, of course, is Vancouver. Has zero ties. I don't even know how you do that. They're five, <laughs> eleven, and zero. How's that even
1: possible? I don't. Even...
0: Yeah, that's uh, uh, I, that is that's, a weird situation.
1: The thing we often see is uh, we've seen a few times at least under Oscars tenure was Dallas failing to turn ties into wins, and I mean this this year it, it may well be uh, you know avoiding well yeah it may well be as much avoiding defeat and, and converting those to wins yeah
0: yeah, but I mean look, we all uh, know where this is we know where this is all headed, right We all know that it's i mean and and it's already the script has been written, and you can already see it playing out. It's going to be Seattle and Toronto again in the in the MLs cup I mean just based on the long standing set of results over a period of time, it's pretty clear to me they're the two best teams in the league at this moment.
1: Yeah, I'm canceling my ESPN subscription now.
2: (laughs) Although Orlando's only got two losses. I love what Oscar's doing down there. Sure. I mean, that dude can coach. God dang.
1: Yeah, that's
0: my greatest nightmare, Buzz. Please stop it.
2: I know. He's going to win a cup. You know it.
0: Mm.
2: It's going to just drive me bonkers. I know. It's going to be so good. Yeah. Yeah. Can we just do it with a good
1: team and not Orlando?
0: (laughs) Wait, wait. Don't you like? You mean because you mean from terms of a roster? You just don't like their culture and their branding and Orlando and period.
1: Well, I mean it'd be pretty embarrassing for Dallas if he takes a team that's never been in the playoffs before and wins MLS Cup with them. Yeah,
0: It also. Yes, you're absolutely right. That would be the greatest face palm result out of the whole Oscar decides to divorce FC Dallas story. You're absolutely right.
2: I'm trying not to think about. It too I was going to make a joke
1: about. <laughs> I was going to make a joke about finding Lucci a sports psychologist, but now I think I just need a psychiatrist.
2: Yeah,
0: um, I do have a question about Lucci. Okay, far away. Um, why was he dressed like a Cuban nightclub owner last night?
2: You don't like the vest? Mm. I liked it. You did like the vest. Yeah, I've, I'm, I've decided <laughs> I'm going to call him Coach Gucci. It just didn't appear
0: to be appropriate sideline apparel.
2: Well, he's not going to wear a suit. He's not that kind of vibe. you know. He's a um, hipster, so it's going to be sweaters or and are turtlenecks vests are, and vests. Are, v- and... are vests back in? Oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, a lot of hipsters right. wear vests with their beards.
0: No, I mean, uh, at some point, are we all going to ask ourselves if he's spending too much time thinking about what he's going to wear on the sideline and not enough on how to break down a...
2: Low yeah. block <laughs> how to break down a low block uh I don't know, no, I don't think he you know his wardrobe is probably the same you know he just grabs the doors on top of the pile it's just all hipster
1: oh, a a- <laughs> guy. he's definitely not a hipster
2: well he, no, he's not a hipster, but he's like he's like Miami hipster, you know it's like uh it's not quite like full on South Beach it's like South Beach was like a chill vibe kind of hipstery style to me that's how I read it I mean I don't know. I'm fifty. I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with Buzz. I, I don't man. get it. Yeah, a I, I, look, I'm not a fashion uh, a fashionista by any stretch of the imagination. I, I thought the the uh, the big comfortable knitted sweater was kind of a cool look, and I just was I was curious as to the vest thing last night. I just thought that was right. a really odd uh, choice uh, for sideline apparel. All right, well then, getting back to the stuff that really matters, and, and not for busting balls. Uh, anything else that we want to discuss uh, uh, that's not on the run sheet that I have either missed or uh, didn't get added to it?
2: Other than North Texas, no, that's it.
0: Oh, North Texas. What is going on with the old uh, FC juniors?
2: Well, they had a really nice win uh, this week. Uh, Evan Cirillo was down, which was great. Nikosi Burgess has gone down for a couple of games, which is great. He looks terrific, uh, which is uh, as we expected. They're basically, is it five points down off of – behind the Richmond kickers who are the current second place team and the top two teams get to play for the championship. Um, They got four games left and this game coming up this weekend is against Richmond. So this is the proverbial six point game against a team that you're trying to catch uh, directly for that spot. So this is your season right here. If you win this game, you'll give yourself, you'll be down to two points out with three games to play if you lose it, you're basically done. So this is a must-win season-deciding game this weekend against Richmond for North Texas SC. It's the uh,
1: it's the game that the entire league's going to be watching. Uh, you know, one of the things I keep identifying is that Richmond in second place has a game in hand over everyone, and they really need to. Uh, you know, every all of the chasing pack needs them to start dropping a couple of results, uh, and they've got a few gimmies coming up with Orlando City B. Uh, Tormentor FC so uh, North Texas SC is kind of the last great hope for most of USL League 1.
2: Richmond Kickers by the way coached by Forrest, former Dallas Burn great Darren Sawatsky, if you guys remember him
0: Oh, the guy with the long blonde hair. Yeah,
2: he was a part-time model when he was playing soccer so he doesn't have the hair anymore. He part-time what? Model, he was a part-time male model you know, fashion, clothes, magazines that kind of stuff. With Wait, he hair. was a part-time sure Breck Shea. Yeah, basically. Back in the day. <laughs> Damn, you
0: beat me to it.
1: Yeah. I mentioned huh? Fat Higuain earlier. Did you see uh, when he ran to Brecce? That blonde hair is long and flowing. It is.
0: He is a handsome fella, that yeah. Brecce. Hey, am I right in saying that, that, that Miami signed him to a USL 1 or championship contract and that the he's did. playing up to MLS?
2: That sounds yeah. right. I think, yeah.
0: Okay. I I just I I thought I I thought I remembered that, and I was thinking about that when I saw him in the in the uh, uh, highlight of that. I thought, man, I, is he still on a USL contract? <laughs> That's
1: because
0: I did it with him
1: and uh, Mister Alex Morgan.
0: Ah, right, <laughs> Mister Alex
1: Morgan. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be harder to
2: go to Manchester. Well, if
1: you say Savando Carrasco, who the hell even knows?
0: Nobody knows who that dude is uh, okay. Now this has been a pretty downer, bummerific uh, podcast. I do want to take a minute to highlight, which I think is so cool and really the culmination of what all of us uh, really hope for when we think of this club and and, and its potential is is turning on uh, ESPN or Fox or whatever it is and seeing Weston McKennie playing for Juventus, starting in that lineup with Ronaldo. And Chris Richards starting for Bayern Munich, uh, that to me is so kick-ass and cool.
2: Yeah, I did a, I did a thing for my Patreons this week where I, that I called uh, Academy working as intended. Um, and it's, <laughs> if, yeah, that's the thing, right? Because Western McKinney is the bellwether moment for this club and probably this league, right? That's what you didn't want to have happen. Chris Richards is what you do want to have happen. This is the the very, very best players that you're going to churn out. And for FC Dallas, it's a guy every, what, three years between those two guys? That's about right. Those guys that are superstar, top five league in the world caliber are gone. You're never going to get them to play for your club. What you want to do is sign them and make the money. So Richard's working as intended, right? Then you're Mm -hmm. locking up the next tier guys, your guys that need a few years in MLS, and then they become European worthy, your Paxton's, your cannons, you know, your Brian Reynolds, the Academy is working exactly like you want it to work. It's, it's doing exactly what the hunts intended. It's doing what you, any team at MLS wouldn't be joyous to have happen.
0: Yes. And I, and I know there's going to be a, a small percentage of people listening to the pod that are going to react to my bringing this up. Like, yeah, but neither one of those guys actually ever played for FC Dallas uh, at at the senior level. And you're right. It is still cool to say that kid right there on Juventus on Bayern yeah. Munich came through our system and you sh- and anybody listening to the pod I understand where you're coming from you should at least a grain of pride and excitement over that
2: No question. It's one club. It's one organization. You should take pride in the fact that they came out of this organization, that the team for, and however method they did, they found them, they helped train them and they signed them. They're going to get solidarity for Weston McKinney from Juve. That's fantastic. There's a recognition there that that's happening. They should get the same thing. If Richards is ever sold by Byron, you know, like I said, the very best dudes, you're never going to keep and that's true for almost any club in the world that look at those cl- clubs from from Portugal or from Belgium that sell kids an 18 year old for 15-20 million dollars you know that never see them in their first team it happens all the time alfonso davies probably only played for vancouver cuz they're garbage you know he was if they'd have been any good he wouldn't have played there and just gone for 20 million right out of the academy too so this is no. how it's supposed to work. This is the way it yeah. works. Have pride and get excited that you get to watch a local kids play in, at the biggest league in the world. Man, that's amazing.
1: You know Dallas kind of has has something nice they can say that those those two players come back. They'll, you know, in in the uh, in the off season, they come back to visit family and friends and team and former teammates and and everything. Not a lot of uh, clubs experience that. You know, with a lot of them, it's. They're there, then they're gone, and you never see them again.
2: Yeah, I twice saw Weston McKinney come by FC Dallas training in the last, like, year and a half pre-COVID when he came back. He posted pictures of himself, like, four months ago at Toyota Stadium on his Instagram. Chris Richards came back and watched the Open Cup game at SMU last year. You know, these guys still feel a love for the club. They're going to have a connection to the club, and I think it's awesome.
0: Would it be, like, would we all just, like uh- – Go absolutely pass out from just utter shock if Weston was to score a goal and lift his shirt up and he had an FC Dallas crest <laughs> on his shirt underneath it would that not be, That'd be that's cool. that yeah. was that's super That'd, weird but pretty pretty awesome it we would could be dream good. that way They're right
1: He but it's pretty awesome he, he, uh, no he rips off his jersey and he's got an FC Dallas tattoo <laughs> yeah even better oh speaking of which do you reckon Cobra regrets getting his FC Dallas tattoo oh, did he I get one? He got one wow yeah where did he, he got, get it? Uh, he got the bull in the shape of Texas. Wow. Oh. Well, he had a good year. I mean, he's probably uh, real excited.
0: I do. I, say, I have to, I do have to admit, I kind of missed the
2: Cobra.
1: I will say, uh, Houston was the first game where I was like, "Damn, this team actually does miss Cobra." Yeah.
2: yeah. Cobra in Texas. Yep. Another question
0: before we go that uh, dawned on me this week, one of the big global soccer headlines was one of the goofiest ones, which was Arsenal's uh, uh, <laughs> Arsenal's firing of Gunnersaurus, their mascot. Uh, and then Mesut Ozel then offered to pay the dude's salary, and and that's been a pretty funny story. And it got me thinking, uh, because when I did go to the one game, the, the Colorado game, and Buzz and I sat there, I thought, you know what? Damn it! I I didn't see Tex Hooper. Did Tex Hooper get furloughed?
2: I don't know the answer to that question, but I imagine he can't be on the field because of COVID-related reasons.
0: But we did I didn't see him running around the concourse or yeah. standing so, over in the
1: beer garden waving the flag or anything. So I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, share my experiences from supporter group stuff when the supporters group said. Hey, the FC Dallas drumline can they not be in front of the supporters groups? Can they maybe engage? I don't know other people in the stadium. And they said, "Well, if they're not front and center on camera, we're not paying them." So that's probably the same happened. Oh, is
0: that there is any? Sure. Is wait who's a, who's the top wage earner for Dallas? Is it Ricarte?
2: No. It's, yeah, it uh, is uh, Ricarte.
0: Hara. Uh, I'm sorry, not Ricarte. It's Hara. Yeah. Any chance Frank O'Hara offers to pay Tex Hooper's salary? I doubt he come? even knows who Tex Hooper is. He probably <laughs> doesn't know
2: who Tex since, Hooper is. <laughs> well, since the, the, I mean, we love the social media guy, Eddie, right now. He tweeted out a picture of the Arsenal dude in an FC Dallas jersey. I was like, you're going to ditch Tex Hooper that quick? Yeah. I'd get my Tex picture
0: Hooper. taken with Gunnar Soros in an FC Dallas shirt. Yeah. Hell yeah. I'd yeah. do that. All right. You'd be amazed all right.
2: what those guys get paid in the big leagues like the NBA oh, oh.
0: no when I lived in Jacksonville nice. uh, we because of the radio show we knew the dude that was uh, Jackson Deville who was the guy that ran around in the uh, the Jackson uh, Jacksonville Jaguar uniform and he had his own van that was all wrapped in you know Jaguar colors and that cat, literally made so much money doing appearances at birthday parties and business openings. Oh, it was insane. How much money that dude made just running around in an outfit, sweating his ass off in Florida humidity, man, that thing stunk to high heaven too. Yeah. I would bet you
2: that most of like NBA level mascots, most of those guys would probably be like the second or third highest paid player on this team.
0: Uh, I don't know if he was making that much money, but he was definitely a six-figure dude um, uh, as an NFL mascot, no doubt about it. Well, yeah, some of the six best figures
1: in boss Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. So, well, RIP Tex Hooper. Um, we loved you when we knew you. I, I assume you're. I'm there'll be a resurrection of Tex Hooper when fans are allowed to come back full time, or people are allowed on the field, right? Yeah, I, I would
2: think so. Wouldn't you? They haven't
0: completely just butchered him or anything did they i mean if hoops can
2: come back then tex hooper can come back
0: uh, all right uh, well uh, i think we've uh beaten this one to death sorry yeah. everybody that our team isn't playing very well at the moment um, surely they'll turn things around and, and give us all hope for a good old-fashioned mls cup run only to crush our hopes and break our dreams at the very end right because that's what we've been used to for 25 years.
2: Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's single elimination playoffs, so they'll probably make it to the semifinal. Oh, and get that's right. That's lose
0: right. The They're Oscar. only playing lose one leg.
2: Yeah, I, t- I forgot about I have that. have to go to Orlando and lose on the road.
0: Oh, man, you're a jerk, Buzz. I
2: know. I'm a buzzkill. You are. Let's see what I did there.
0: All right, Dan Crook, uh, your internet has been super choppy tonight, but, man, you have been funny. just wanted to tell you that
1: you're funny okay
0: that's a disappointing comeback
1: you're a disappointing comeback <laughs> That was better. <laughs> that was better. <laughs> that was super better
0: uh buzz uh we still love and adore you even if you can't go to practice
2: yeah yeah i still love and adore me because i can't go to practice either but at least i can actually go to the, uh stay in town this weekend now that my game's been canceled
0: all right everybody well if you uh choose to brave the covid uh, minnesota is in town it's a sunday night game on uh starting at 7 30 and it is again on fox sports southwest and all the other options they've built in for you thank you fc dallas curious fan we uh appreciate you and we'll speak to you next week on another edition of third degree the podcast
1: it's been disappointing